Welcome to the Self Healer Soundboard, How to Do the Work Masterclass. Those of you who tuned in to the past few episodes have heard as we've explored an expanded definition of trauma, including how those past experiences continue to live in our minds and bodies in the present moment. Today, you have me for a solo episode as we deep dive into Chapter 5, Mind-Body Healing Practices. As always, I'll be answering some live questions at the end. Those of you who are interested in participating in next week's live Q&A for Chapter 6, The Power of Belief, can call the number below, which is 213-375-8385. Leave your name, your location, and your question and we'll be answering some live on next episode. I now understood that so many of the aspects of myself I was struggling with, my behavior, my cyclical thoughts, my emotional explosions, my detached relationships, had a physiological basis. They were the reactive impulses of a dysregulated body. I wasn't bad. I wasn't damaged. In fact, Those habits and behaviors were learned responses that my body used to keep me alive. They were survival mechanisms. So many of us are stuck living in those survival patterns as our minds are communicating with our bodies. We now know that that communication goes on all day long. We began to explore already the power the mind has to create change in the body when we explored the concept of consciousness. And we'll dive deeper into the power of the mind to create change in the body next episode when we explore the power of belief. Today, we're going to talk about building a foundation from the body up, exploring the many ways our bodies affect our mental worlds and wellness. We're going to explore the pillars of holistic wellness that allows for true healing in our minds and bodies. To begin, we're going to talk first about the gut. The gut for a very long time was not talked about. I had never heard of the gut mentioned in any of my training, and I know that those who went through a medical school also heard nothing about the gut. The gut, it turns out, is incredibly important, so much so that it's now commonly referred to as our second brain. For those with medical knowledge out there, it's otherwise known as the enteric nervous system. What's important to know is in direct communication with our brain, and it is responsible for far more than just absorbing the nutrients in the food that we eat. It affects our immune system and its response that we feel throughout our bodies. It also affects the production of neurotransmitters, hormones that we believed once were only produced in the brain, we now know are produced in the gut. Of particular importance is serotonin. Upwards of 90% of our serotonin, or the happy hormone, Those of us that have anxiety, I know have been told we don't have enough of serotonin. This we now know is produced in the gut. As I began to explore how my gut was functioning, I came to realize that I was suffering from something that a lot of us are, something called leaky gut. Our gut has a very fine lining that allows our nutrients to be absorbed so that all of our organs can function properly. However, that lining can get damaged With my diet consisting of a lot of these gut-damaging foods, my gut was releasing toxins into my bloodstream, and my immune system was doing what I needed it to do. It was launching inflammation throughout my body to deal with these toxins. This inflammation, however, was causing me a lot of issues. I was having difficulty concentrating. It felt like there was a film across my brain. Even more troubling, I was having anxiety. I was having panic. 
All of these I now know were symptoms from this gut damage and the immune system response that was affecting my entire body. I didn't know this, however, until I began to become conscious about what I was eating and how the food was making me feel. I hit pause before I put food on my plate and I tuned in to how I felt while I was eating it and most importantly, after I ate it. I came to realize, again, that certain foods for me were causing me that lack of energy, was causing my anxiety to spike. As I began to get more conscious and remove some of these foods from my daily diet, I began to feel better. I began to feel that my mood was shifting. My anxiety was dissipating. I began to feel I had access to a clearer mind and brain. I had no idea that these symptoms were originating in my gut, as I know a lot of us have no idea. Our nutrition and our health really does begin in how our organs are functioning. And all of that begins with how we're absorbing nutrients from our food. If we're not absorbing the nutrients we need from our food, and if we're causing our gut damage, a lot of us are suffering the symptoms of this inflammation, are suffering the symptoms of our body being dysregulated. There's of course no universal prescription for what food to eat or what food to avoid. Food affects us each differently. What's important here is to get conscious, to begin to explore how the food we're eating makes us feel. Tuning into your own body, hearing its signals from when it's hungry to when it's full, and hearing its signals from when it has the energy that it needs and when it doesn't will direct you in figuring out what's best for your own bodies. Shifting into another incredibly important pillar for holistic wellness is sleep. Sleep is something that universally, I can be safe, I think, to say, very few of us get the sleep we need. When we think of sleep, so many of us think of the hours that we're in bed. And the reality of it is, many of us aren't really accurate with the hours that we're in bed. We think we're sleeping more than we are. We're getting in bed and we're not turning off our phones until well after we got in bed. So getting clear on how much sleep you're actually getting is a great first step. Sleep, however, begins before we get in bed. Sleep is a function of our parasympathetic nervous system, which is otherwise known as rest and digest. Even in that name, rest. To become rested, to sleep, we need to be shifted into that parasympathetic state. So if we're scrolling on our phones and seeing stressful information, we're actually doing quite the opposite. We're activating our sympathetic nervous system, pulling us further away from sleep. I know for me, I don't have a memory from childhood that doesn't include me laying up at night with racing thoughts, all worry-based. Who's going to break in? What is that bang I hear downstairs? Will my mom wake up tomorrow morning? All of these anxiety-based thoughts activated that sympathetic nervous system, pulling me further and further away from the sleep that I needed. As I began to get honest with myself in my adult life, I saw much of the same. I didn't actually give myself time to decompress before I got into bed. I carried the phone with me with all of its endless stimulation. And then I wondered why I laid awake at night again with racing thoughts and awoke in the mornings feeling like I got no sleep at all. Sleep again begins when we activate that parasympathetic nervous system. So for some of us, that means hours before we go to bed. Teaching our body that it's safe to shift into that rested state so that we can actually get sleep when we need it. Sleep plays such a role that even now, with sleep habits that do serve me, I notice that on those nights where I don't sleep well, my resources are limited the next day. I feel agitated. Shifting into that rested state is so important because sleep is the time when our body repairs itself. 
when our digestive system gets to switch off and when our cells have time to clean up after themselves. All of our organs need that time to rest. Getting sleep is so important to our wellness. One very powerful and practical way to stimulate that parasympathetic nervous system is through breath, another pillar of holistic wellness. Our bodies are breathing day in and day out outside of our awareness. We don't even have to pay attention. However, when we do pay attention, when we become intentional about our breathing, we can actually activate our vagus nerve and stimulate that parasympathetic response that so many of us need. Developing intentional breathwork practices consistently can help those of us shift from that chronic fight or flight state that so many of us are living in into that parasympathetic state of rest. Harnessing the power of our breath also allows us to deal with stress, the stress that each of us face day in and day out. When we can regulate our body's stress response or its nervous system response through the power of our breath, we're empowering ourselves with stress resilience. We're showing our bodies how much we can take, that we can become activated, and through an intentional breath, we can become unactivated or calm and peaceful like so many of us are searching to become. Stress resilience and the ability to manage stress also plays a role in a very important part of our chromosomes. They're called telomeres. They play a role in how well we age. Keeping our bodies healthy and resilient to stress is a part of our day-to-day wellness. Breathwork, for me, played a foundational role in my healing. I came to realize how shallow my breath was, how much I held my breath when I was stressed out. Holding my breath were sending signals to my nervous system, keeping me in that sympathetic response, that fight or flight. As I got clear on how important my breath was, I began to teach my body a new way of breathing, which for me in the beginning was incredibly difficult. My posture even began to take on a hunched appearance due to that constriction in my body and in my breathing in particular. By laying down, by placing a hand on my belly, I taught myself how to breathe deeply from my diaphragm or my belly. That helped to activate for me my parasympathetic nervous system, which I knew I needed to come back into balance. Now, it didn't work overnight. It was very difficult for me to access that breath in the beginning, so I practiced consistently before I got out of bed in the morning or when I got into bed in the evening, I put my hand on my belly and I practiced five deep belly breaths, knowing that each of those breaths were now sending a signal to my rest and digest system, helping me go to sleep if I was doing it before bed though also helping my body to rebalance overall. That daily consistent practice set me up to use that deep belly breath the next time I became activated, the next time something stressful happened, the next time I wanted to shift from those old reactions into new consciously chosen responses. Breathwork can help us in those moments too. However, we have to practice consistently in all of our moments so that we can empower ourselves to use the healing power of our breath when we're in that state of activation anytime. Another pillar for holistic wellness is movement. Now, this doesn't mean vigorous activity at the gym. This can be any movement. It can be a walk around the block, a gentle stretch. Those of us that practice yoga out there, all of these apply. Movement is important because it's an opportunity to stress our body 
to elevate our heart rate, to send us in to that fight or flight response. And then it gives our body time to recover, to come back into that baseline. Yoga offers this opportunity as you engage in what I know for me are difficult poses or stretches. I know when I'm in a difficult pose or stretch, I feel it in my body. I can feel my heart rate begin to elevate and I can feel my mind tell me to get the heck out of that posture. However, I also know if in that moment I focus on my breath, I maybe bring my attention back to the present moment, I've given my body an opportunity in that moment to activate that parasympathetic system, to go from stress back into recovery. The more I do that, the more I'm testing the limits of my body, the more I'm showing my body that it can tolerate stress and that intentionally and consciously I can empower myself to play a part in that stress tolerance. For me, I hate it moving. As an athlete, unless I was going to perform in a sport, receive an award like I was so used to, I didn't want to work out. I didn't want to move my body. In the beginning of my healing journey, I had mental tantrums every time I tried to take a walk around my block. I didn't have money to access a gym, so I would go to the playground. I would jump on the benches. I would learn how to use the equipment around me just to facilitate the moving of my body. And I would feel stressed. I would feel how difficult it was, and I would do it anyway. I would teach my body how to enter a stress state and how to recover from that stress state. Now, I see a very big relationship between when I'm not moving and my mood. When multiple days have gone that I haven't stretched, that I haven't taken that walk around my block, I feel what I call an agitation. I can almost feel the pent-up energy stuck in me needing to get out. So very begrudgingly, I try very consistently to give my body that release, to allow it to expend that energy so that it can come back into balance. So for those of you listening out there, again, with physical complications around movement, this doesn't have to be something vigorous. It can be gently learning how to twist and turn your body in simple ways. It can be a slow walk around the block. It can be anything that we can do, again, to test the limits of our body and to empower ourselves to allow it to then come back into that baseline. Here's a pillar that I'm sure none of you are going to expect as one of the final ones. Healing with play. Play is such an incredibly important part of our healing journey. Play occurs when we do something for the simple act of doing something. Some of you might have heard the concept of flow. When we're so immersed in an activity or in a moment that time seems to fall away. We're fully present. It's a very playful state. Play for a lot of us, I know for myself, is something that we get little of in adulthood. Some of us can't even access that state of awareness to, to be playful. I remember very early on in my relationship with my partner, she would actually tease me and I would become angry. It was very hard for me to find humor and to find life playful. The reason why we struggle to play is because we're stuck, again, in a state of nervous system activation that doesn't allow that presence, that doesn't allow that humor, that levity, that playfulness in our lives. We need to, again, learn how to regulate our body so that we can incorporate play into our life. Presence, doing something for the simple act of doing it, even if you're an adult. Play can look very different for each of us. 
For some of us, play is when we create something, not even necessarily artistic, creating something for work or for a project that we're interested in. For others, play means dancing, singing, being silly in the home, by ourselves or with others. For others still, play might mean something athletic, a game, a board game, a basketball pickup game. Play can mean anything. Play happens when we're present. Play happens when we're fully immersed in the moment. Play happens when we're safe. Play happens when our nervous system allows us to shift into that state of open awareness. If you're out there and you're like I was, struggling to find play in your life, building this foundation from the body up, teaching your body how to be safe is part of the journey into incorporating play back into your daily life. All of these pillars help us to live in a more regulated body so that the messages that it's sending to our mind are messages of peace, of openness, of love. Living in that state of peace and calm is unrealistic. We all have those moments of emotional activation that creep up. To learn how to navigate those moments differently now, we have to learn how to live in a regulated body. We have to learn how to take care of our body's needs first. I say this because very commonly, I know a lot of us want to dive in, want to break that habit of screaming, of yelling, or of dissociating or self-harming when I'm upset. To create change in that moment, we have to learn how to meet the needs of our bodies consistently in all of the moments that lead up to that moment. So that means by checking in daily, by asking your body how it's doing, what state of activation is your nervous system in? And is there anything that you can do now consciously and intentionally to help recreate balance in your body? Asking those questions consistently and meeting your body's physical needs consistently sets us up for those future moments, allows us the tools, be it through movement or breath work in that moment to then be able to break those older habitual reactions. Though to do that work, we need to build this foundation first from the bottom up, following these pillars of wellness, tuning into the status of our gut and how our body feels, being honest about how much we're sleeping or not, and making changes in that area so that we can activate our parasympathetic nervous system and allow for the sleep that we need. Incorporating movements, however small, to begin to regularly stress your body and allow it to come back into that recovery. To use play daily as consistently as possible to allow us to enter into that state of flow, of presence, into that state of peace and calm and wholeness. And never forgetting our breath all the while. The breath that we carry with us day in and day out can become a healing tool in our day-to-day, -day, helping us to regulate a dysregulated body. Building from these pillars allows us to create true holistic wellness. This model of holistic wellness is so incredibly important and is one of the main reasons why I put this work out there and why we created the Self-Healer Circle, our self-led online community, where each and every month we dive into these topics to help members create this wellness in their lives. The Self-Healer Circle is a waitlist only enrollment at this process, so anyone who is interested in getting any further information, including enrollment links, can head to the website, theholisticpsychologist.com, and jump on the waitlist for enrollment.
Shifting now, we're going to hear live questions from two members of our community right now. Hi, Nicole. My name is Renata. I am from uh, Southern California. Um, my question is, when I get a response from a recent trauma, I get this stomach pain that feels more like a reflection of my thoughts about a loss I had in my past, that I am still healing from it, but this pain always comes right after thoughts of rejection. I'm doing the work, but I can't cope with the little voice in the back of my head that gives me this pain in my stomach. I feel like in order for me to move on, I need to shut down this voice, but I do not know how. Thank you, Renata, for your question. This is such an amazing illustration of the mind-body connection, and I want to take a moment to honor your ability to have witnessed that connection between feelings of rejection and that pit or that pain in your stomach, right? Prime example of how, how we feel affects our bodies and vice versa. How our bodies feel affects our emotions. Seeing that connection is incredibly important. To speak to the part of your question now, asking about how to shut it out, here's where I want to offer my suggestion not to do that. I know for me and a lot of us listening, the second we try to power away our thoughts or turn them off is the second they get louder and more distracting. We actually can't control our thoughts. We can, however, control how much attention that we're paying to them. So the goal here isn't to shut out our thoughts, that nagging voice of rejection or those feelings. It's to look upon it with compassion because when we power them away, it only gives it more of our attention and keeps that voice stronger. On a deeper level, those of us that have experienced rejection in the past often on some, to some degree feel unworthy. We feel not worthy of love. We feel not worthy maybe of having our needs met. So the deeper work here is to identify those areas where this feeling of rejection is preventing us from meeting our own needs and then learning how to show up in service of those needs. So many of us that have experienced loss in the past or abandonment or some other form of rejection, often at our core, we don't feel worthy to have our needs met. The deeper journey now is to begin to honor our needs and to meet our needs. So Renata and anyone else out there with a similar question, with a similar voice that connects to a past painful experience, don't expect that voice to go away overnight. Allow it to be compassionately a part of your journey. That voice protected you at one time. Allowing yourself now, however, to create new habits, to honor yourself in the ways that you had not been honoring yourself in the past or that other relationships haven't honored you in the past. Now the journey is about you, is about not rejecting yourself by not rejecting your needs and by practicing that each and every day. We have one more question now coming in from a clinician actually named Nathan. Hi, my name is Nathan. I'm from K Richmond, Kentucky. Uh, I actually work as a, an LCSW in a community health center here in Richmond. 
I do want to say thank you for your work. As a therapist, I've learned a lot from you, but your work is also very validating. As a lot of your work I was already using, but I have found it very difficult to use in this field where the more traditional clinical practice did not incorporate this holistic approach to addressing mental health. And looking at that mind-body connection, that the mind and body uh, were are often seen as two separate things and not as one. Um, can you speak to that as a professional yourself, but also speaking about how others can advocate for themselves to use this within their own treatment should they seek out their own professional treatment? Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. Um, for me, it's always a pleasure to hear from a fellow clinician, especially one resonating with my work, because I absolutely know how it is in the field, and I know how difficult it is to begin to integrate some of these holistic principles. When I was in training, we learned the gold standard in the field, which is CBT. CBT is what we were talking about earlier, a use of the mind to change the body. Now, of course, I find that as part of the story. Next episode, we're going to talk more about how the power of belief or our mind can shape our bodies. However, again, as per this whole episode today, it's only part of the story. The body is sending up messages to the mind and if those are messages of dysregulation, CBT is not going to be successful. I found myself increasingly frustrated with that model as I was urged to stay only in those confines. I know how you feel, Nathan. I know how difficult it is to begin to evolve your practice. However, it's important to do just that. With the clients I was already working with, I began to offer new holistic practices. We began to talk a little bit about the body, about breath work in particular, for those interested a bit about sleep, maybe even the gut and its role in health. And for those clients, very gradually, we began to incorporate these holistic principles into the healing journey. The field, as far as I see it, needs to change. It needs to begin to incorporate the body in all of its modalities for all of its clinicians. As my clients began to use these holistic methods and began to get better, I thought about speaking about this. I created the Holistic Psychologist online, and I would be lying if I said I wasn't afraid of what my peers would think of other clinicians like yourself, Nathan. I wondered how it would be for you to hear about what I was doing in my practice. And once I walked through that fear, I was actually met with relief. What I heard was similar stories from other clinicians at this point now around the world that have began to use these more holistic methods that are identifying as somatic therapists, body-based therapists, that are identifying as breath workers, utilizing that tool in their own healing practices. There are so many of us out there doing the work, whether you're looking to connect with other like-minded clinicians or whether you're looking to find a like-minded clinician for your own treatment. We are out there. It's one of the major reasons why I created the Self Healers Hashtag the self-healer circle, and why in the future I look to create a healing membership for practitioners. We are out there. I believe the field's future is in holistic wellness, and I honor people like yourself out there, Nathan, beginning to question these old models and beginning to utilize these tools in your own practice, in your own life, to create and teach and model wellness for all of us who need it. I think it is pretty clear how important the body is to set the foundation for wellness in our lives. Next week's episode, chapter six, the power of belief is now going to focus on the mind 
and its incredible power through beliefs in particular to shape the body, our reactions, and our outcomes in our lives. Anyone who's interested in having any of your own questions featured, again, the number is 213-375-8385. Again, leave your name, your location, and your question for next week, Chapter 6, The Power of Belief, and they will be answered live during the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.